0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, ken Hellenius in the studios of modern day radio east in south bend indiana <laughs> and sitting across from me in the virtual studios in the real studios of modern day radio in beautiful portland oregon is the man who was the original test driver of the mustang shelby gt 500 deacon harold burke sivers hello deacon <laughs> how you doing kid <laughs> well i loved your work by the way in in a Ford versus Ferrari. Loved yeah. it. Loved it. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> what? You roll in a minivan, so yeah, I do no, uh... I, I, I yeah, tell you about it. That is I mean, very I'm not throwing true. any stones. So do I. Yeah, so do I. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> so very true. Very true. So how are things going out in South Bend?
0: Things are good. It's been cold, um, but the semester has started off well. The spring semester goes so incredibly quick because, of course, we start... In mid-January, and it's go go go, and then we have Lent, and and then you know, and then Easter comes. The next thing you know, the the kids are already gone. So, like we're already coming up a third of the way through the semester. So, yeah, it's fast.
1: Yeah, excellent. And I'm just doing my usual road warrior thing. You know, <laughs> uh, just traveling around, busy, you know, gearing up uh, for Lent. And what's been happening since um, my schedule is pretty tight for Lent over the next couple of years, um, people have been getting me like pre-Lenten missions or or yeah. post-Lenten missions, or which fills up the rest of the year. And uh, I'm preparing for, oh, I got quite a few overseas trips this year. I think even more than last year <laughs> so, Wow. because I, wow. I was contacted by the Cardinal Archbishop of Sri Lanka, oh, uh, Car- wow. Cardinal Ranjit. And he said, we need you to come to Sri Lanka. I'm like, Oh, okay. Cause he, <laughs> he goes, can you fit us in your schedule? I said, well, your eminence, uh, when were you thinking? He told me, and I just, do happen to have some time to squeeze in, you know? Uh, so, uh, so we're going to squeeze in there, and and a, and a short trip to the Philippines as well. On that, on that. Uh, have same. you ever
0: been to Sri Lanka before? No, no, and
1: uh, I've always wanted to go to India. So I'll yeah. be as close to India <laughs> without actually as you've going to India. they so I've been so far. So uh, hopefully yeah. next time I can actually actually make it into the the country of India. But I'm I'm thrilled to be going to Sri Lanka. Yeah, uh, and he wants me to focus on apologetics there. Wow. So his coordinator is going to be contacting me now. Now that I said yes, he's gonna, he said someone else is going to be. Doing all the arrangements with me and stuff to make that happen. Right. So yeah. Wait so. a minute.
0: You're saying that the cardinal isn't the one who's making your flight plans <laughs> and arranging <laughs> yeah. catering and and uh, <laughs> table linens and stuff like that. No,
1: believe it or not, <laughs> no. But I, I'm looking forward to meeting them. You know, and um, yeah, and I'm and I'm grateful to God again for this opportunity to be able to, to travel and to, to to share the beauty and truth of our one holy Catholic and Apostolic faith because it really is life changing, a life changing encounter with with the living God. You know, yeah. in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So,
0: you know, and that's the beauty of the sacraments. And that's one of the things that I love about working with RCIA at my parish is that this encounter with Christ changes lives in a way that not only makes people want to be better, but gives them the grace to actually follow through with that desire. Yes, And the graces that come through the sacraments, the encounter with Christ, you know, obviously our our christian life beginning with baptism and confirmation but then being constantly nourished by the eucharist this is something that we as catholics have access to at every mass we get to encounter the living christ you know we talk about a personal relationship with christ an idea that is so important especially among our evangelical brothers and sisters do you have a personal relationship with christ my answer is always well yes i i consumed him and took him (laughs) into my into my very body just last sunday or or just yesterday at mass whatever day it might be so yeah i have a personal relationship with christ because of the sacraments this is the gift that we have and it's such a blessing a literal blessing to us each and every time we encounter christ especially in the mass
1: yeah and you know what's what's interesting to me is when, when we hear about people that begin to have that encounter you know that may have a relationship with christ and now they're they're discovering the the riches and beauty of catholicism they want to go deeper you know and recently we've heard in the news well two things we've been we hearing about in the news first of all That there is uh, a lack of belief amongst Catholics of Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, Mm. fully present, body, blood, soul, divinity, and the Eucharist. I mean, I think everybody's heard the statistics and they're abysmal. Uh, Not only about mass attendance, which is bad enough, but people not even believing that, I mean, that's that's one of the core foundational elements of our faith. That's the gift that mm-hmm. Christ left to us. The yeah. gift of himself. Yes, he left of his church. He left us the Holy Spirit. He left us a lot of things. But he left us especially his real and living presence. As you said, that we consume the two become one flesh like in Genesis. You know, the, the, the exchange of love and life and intimacy and communion in that most blessed sacrament. And people don't believe it. That's a yeah. problem. That's a problem,
0: yeah. You know? They don't understand it, and then even if they do understand it, they don't believe it. They don't
1: buy it, as it yeah, were. exactly yeah. don't buy it. it it's
0: a problem, absolutely.
1: And the second thing that we've been hearing about lately, or you know, EW Ten's been airing the journey home for, for forever. You know, for, uh, yeah. almost since Mother started the network, and you know, very very popular show because people are telling their stories of that encounter with Christ. And especially with, with the church's sacred tradition, but well, he's not Catholic yet. I say yet, but um, uh, the very popular Protestant preacher, Francis Chan, and I'm sure many people have seen this YouTube video, a uh, uh, three minutes or so of a presentation where he's coming to realize about sacred tradition and the mass and the Eucharist. Yeah. Very interesting <laughs> you know yeah. a lot of people have been commenting about it we thought it's important for our listeners to at least hear a little bit of what he has to say given the fact that we are living in a time where a lot of Catholics are struggling with their belief in in Jesus and the Eucharist so we're going to roll a clip and, and listen to what he has to say
2: again I'm not making any like grand statements I'm just saying I some of the stuff I didn't know I didn't know that for the first 1,500 years of church history, everyone saw it as the literal body and blood of Christ. And it wasn't until 500 years ago that someone popularized a thought that it's just a symbol and nothing more. I didn't know that. I thought, wow, well, that's something to consider. And, and I, while I won't make a strong statement, I will make a statement about this it was at that same time that for the first time someone put a pulpit in the front of the gathering because before that it was always the body and blood of Christ that was central to their gatherings for 1500 years it was never one guy and his pulpit being the center of the church it was the body and blood of Christ and even the leaders just saw themselves as partakers and oh man we're not worthy, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. I say that because the church is more divided than any time in history. What does this book tell us clearly? That he does not want any divisions in his church. And for a thousand years, there was just one church. Did you know that? We're so used to growing up in a time when literally there are over 30,000 Christian denominations right now. But for the first thousand years, there was just one. What was interesting is communion was at the center of the room every time they gathered, and it wasn't a pulpit where a guy preached after studying in his office by himself for 20 hours. See, right now we've got guys like me that go in a room, study, you know. That's what I was doing for years.
0: You know, listening to Mr. Chan there, what I'm reminded of is the quotation from St. John Henry Newman, to be deep in history is to cease being Protestant. And what does he say? But what you know? What does does uh, Francis say there? But he said that um, I didn't know that for the majority of the church's history that we believed this to be the body of Christ. I just didn't know. And once you start reading history, and once you start kind of digging in, especially digging into the the earliest. Statements in the church, the earliest saints, the people who knew Christ and and the first converts to the faith after the apostles, you know, people like Justin Martyr, who dies in in the 140s. Um, People like, you know, Ignatius of Smyrna and Polycarp of Smyrna, you know, people that we've talked about before, of course, you know, we, we uh, have explored and read some of the earliest letters uh, of, you know, that were just after the New Testament. You realize that the Eucharist as the body and blood of Christ is the, the tradition that they had received from the apostles themselves, the apostles who walked with Christ. And so to hear this this evangelical minister who's you know deep into the reform movement to hear him say I, I just didn't know is the beginning of that of that journey is and that's what i hear
1: oh no absolutely part of it is because you know they, they, they their whole theology is scripture alone sola, sola fide scripture alone faith alone grace alone scripture alone so they don't read the church father. So so once he's encountered, how did people receive? Because the apostles just keep this to themselves. I mean, they passed it on. They handed right. it down. Tradition, that's what tradition. They handed it down to those who came after them. So, for example, just a few things, a few quotes here. In 110 AD, again, as you correctly say, Ken, this is just after the Gospels, right? The, especially the last right. gospel of John. Ignatius of Antioch, he says, take note that. Of those who hold heterodox positions, not orthodox, right teaching. This is wrong, basically saying people have the wrong teaching. And see how contrary their opinions are to the mind of God. They abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ. Bam! That's Bam. one. And you mentioned Justin Martyr. Drop. Yeah, Mike Drop, right? <laughs> the Justin the Martyr. We call this food Eucharist and no one else is permitted to partake of it except one who believes our teaching to be true and who has been washed with the washing, which, which is baptism. For not as common bread or common drink do we receive these. But since Jesus our Savior was made incarnate by the word of God and had both flesh and blood for our salvation. So too, as we have been taught again, as we have been taught by the apostle, by Jesus to the apostles. And now he's saying down to us, the food, which we, which has been made into the Eucharist by the Eucharistic prayer set down by him. And by the change of which our blood and flesh is nurtured is both the flesh and blood of that incarnated Jesus. 151 A.D. Wow. Come on. This this belief in the Eucharist from the earliest time of the church. I mean, I could go on, Cyril Jerusalem and others. But there's one thing I do want to point out, though. He said, for the first 1,500 years... No one believed that it wasn't Jesus. Well, that's not entirely correct because uh, sadly uh, there was a deacon <laughs> <coughs> uh, named Baron, Baron of Tours who lived in France, who lived in an uh, 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 archdeacon of, of Angers in France who pub- in, uh, who in uh, about 1060 AD, somewhere in then, uh, publicly denied that Christ was really present and really, and physically present in the species of bread and wine, he was the first one to deny it. <sighs> a deacon.
0: Well, I mean, a deacon, but you know, hey, you, you're making up for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, think about it, though. That's that's uh, in you know 1060, and we had you know we had Ignatius saying already in 110, if you didn't believe it to be true that that was your heterodox, heterodox opinion. Mm. So, I mean, we kn- he knew. Yeah, or maybe on the other hand, maybe this uh, this deacon was poorly read. Yeah, you and know? the it's entirely possible. Yeah,
1: the difference is is that his heterodox teaching didn't catch on. I mean, right. everybody said, "What are you nuts?" <laughs> Basically, yeah. and so what Get happened? It, it got to the level of the Pope and Pope Gregory the Seventh. Um, you know schooled him berengarius and he actually came back to the church he actually oh, wow. came back to the fold of the church he realized he was wrong but what that did was uh, Pope Gregory the seventh uh, uh, wrote a um, uh, wrote a statement of uh, he had to sign a statement of Fidelia credo uh, mm. that, that Baron Garius had to sign before he was allowed to come back into the church and interestingly enough Pope Paul the Saint Paul the included that credo in his beautiful document called Mysterium Fidei, the mystery oh, yeah. of faith they released in 1965. And yeah. he, now imagine, I know we have, bless are those who are called to the to the Supper of the Lamb, you know... Um, Revelation 19 verse 9, you know, behold the lamb of God, John 1:29. That that's beautiful. But imagine if we said this before we receive communion every Sunday. And this is something that the Eastern rites do, the Maronites and the and the different Byzantine I believe in my heart and openly profess that the bread and wine placed upon the altar are by the mystery of the sacred prayer and the words of our redeemer substantially changed into the true and life giving flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that after the consecration, there is present the true body of Christ, which was born of the Virgin and offered up for the salvation of the world. That goes on a little bit further. Oh my goodness. Imagine, but before you, that's the last word you hear before you walk up there to receive Jesus present in the Eucharist.
0: It's that that repetition and that that statement of you know saying I b- truly believe this when you, you you can only do that and mouth those words for so long before they actually become part of you and become ingrained in you, right? Oh, no,
1: exactly. I mean, beautiful prayer. Gosh, I mean, I, I just imagine what that do for the for the faith of people hearing those. I mean, hearing that core teaching and then go forward. To unite themselves with the Lord in that sacrament, yeah, you know, uh, and imagine someone sitting there going, "Wow, you know, I, I actually don't believe that, or you know, I, I'm at a place in my life where I, you know, I, I've sinned, and I and I can't fully give myself to Christ because you know, I mean, just the examination of conscience that would go on during that time, and mm-hmm. how uh, how we would want to receive communion kneeling, and on in a, in a reverent in a very reverent way. Um, knowing that we're receiving the true God of our salvation, who's giving us the gift of Himself to strengthen us on this journey of life, to get us over the humps and the hurdles um, that this that that everyday life throws at us, you know, yeah. um, it's just uh, it's just a powerful witness. And you know, we're we're going to continue to pray for for Francis Chan, and that yeah. um, you know that he, I'm sure that he's getting lambasted by oh, other is, Protestants. You know, you
0: know um, yeah, I looked him up and and kind of read a bit about, you know, what people have been saying about this particular little segment of the speech of, of the talk that he gave. And what we just heard is, is a segment of a segment, you know, looking at the longer piece, you, you, you realize that he's been kind of building to this for a while, uh, and reading, um, uh, some of the uh, commentaries, especially from his evangelical brothers and sisters, they've been saying, you know, oh, he's been going down this road for a while. He actually prayed with Catholics once on stage and and uh, things like that. And of course, when the people who wrote this blog or this, this reflection that I was reading, they did not receive that favorably. They thought that this is the road to perdition for mm. uh, Mr. Francis Chan. But, you know, for us— You know, we would love to have him come home. We would love, you know, one of the things that I always joke is, stop protesting. You know, don't be a Protestant. (laughs) Stop protesting. Come home to the fullness of the faith, where you too can be in communion, true communion with us. And um, you know, in the in the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Question 291 asks that very question, well, what is required to receive Holy Communion? And so if you're out there and maybe you're wondering, you know, well, I'm kind of interested in the Catholic faith and, and I would like to receive Holy Communion. Here's what the church says. To receive Holy Communion, one must be fully incorporated into the Catholic Church and be in a state of grace that is not conscious of being in mortal sin. Anyone who is conscious of having committed a grave sin must first receive the sacrament of reconciliation before going to communion. This of course, by the way, is, is, uh, is what St. Paul said is, you know, do not eat and drink the the cup of the Lord unworthily, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, going back also important for those receiving Holy Communion are a spirit of recollection and prayer observance of the fast prescribed by the church and an appropriate disposition of the body gestures and dress as a sign of respect for christ so that's what the church teaches kind of the practical aspects of what do we have to do to receive holy communion and you'll notice those don't apply only to non-catholics they apply to all of us Catholics alike who are receiving, presenting ourselves to receive Holy Communion. Are we in that state of recollection and prayer? You know, as you mentioned, Deacon, the the, the great kind of prayer of, of faith in the Eucharist uh, helps put us in that state of recollection. Um, reconciliation, frequent reconciliation, frequent penance helps us be in a state of grace ready to receive the full array of graces that god wants to pour into our hearts the sacramental graces that come through being in communion with him in the eucharist and 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 then also again as it says it even descends down to how are we dressed how is our comportment are we respecting the christ that we are about to be receiving into our body body soul and divinity um that's that's what we need to be conscious of it's not just to stand in line and get a snack that's not what the <laughs> eucharist is about
1: that's right and, you know and all the other sacraments point or are or ordered toward the eucharist as the heart and the center of the sacramental life of the church yes. you know and um and so it's just frustrating to me that people are seem to be more interested and the what's going on in the worldly things you know like they live there we, we live our everyday lives as Catholics we, and a lot of times we go through the motions you know mm. okay as long as we, we, we fall into this fallacy of thinking as long as I'm a good person you know, I don't need church I don't need Eucharist I don't need mass I just need to be good but Jesus doesn't teach that he doesn't teach it nowhere and it's gonna just be good and you'll get to heaven we need to be great and the <laughs> Eucharist makes us great you know, yes. not great within ourselves. Greatness comes not from anything that I do. It's, it's, it's as, as Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what the Eucharist helps to bring out. You know it, we have that uh, expression. She brings out the best in me. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and yeah. that's what Holy Mother Church, as we call her, she, she brings out the best in us and um, how she does that is and Christ empowered the church the whole, with the Holy Spirit to give us the Eucharist so we can become the best that we can be, you know, and that's yes. what Eucharist helps us to do. And so if, if you're out there and you're Protestant and you and you say, well, why can't I receive the Eucharist? I believe what the church believes. The question is not, why can't you receive? The question is, why aren't you Catholic? <laughs> I mean, so yeah. what? what is it? What other things about the church that's keeping you away? And, and like, friends, at least be honest in the memory, he didn't say, I'm, let's listen now. He didn't say, I'm going to become Catholic. In fact, he said, I'm not making any big statements here. I'm not, so he wasn't. You know, like I'm on the path to Catholicism, although I, I mean, what he said sounded very Catholic and very open and we need to pray for him. But remember, it says in John's gospel and he and, and, and Francis Chan mentioned this briefly, he said in John's Gospel, he prayed that they be one as you are one father and I are one, and it's the Eucharist that makes us one. That makes us the Paul says in First Corinthians ten, that makes us the one body of Christ. It's the Eucharist, the heart, the center and soul of our faith it is Jesus in that most blessed sacrament.
0: You know Francis Chan goes on it later in this, uh, in this talk that he gives to say, you know prior to the he talks about prior to the pulpit being brought into the front of the church, the altar with the Eucharist on it was at the center. He said, and I pray, I pray that Christ in the Eucharist is at the center of our churches again. You know, and this is so true. I mean, how can you say that and not think, you know, you're right. He doesn't say I'm on my way to being Catholic. I don't know. Deacon, have you ever read Scott Hahn's conversion story? Oh, yeah. Talk about that and how he sat in the back of the church and he just watched the mass take place in front of him. And he's like, I have so much to give up. What what am I even thinking being here? You know, and um And that's often, you know, often it's a practical consideration for people that are thinking, I can't become Catholic because I'd have to give up so much. I'd have to give up family. I'd have to give up relationships. I'd have to give up my job. Um, Wait a minute. Didn't Christ say something about there's no one among you who has not given up life and family and job for, for my sake and the sake of the gospel who will not receive it and a hundredfold more? I mean, this is what we're we're talking about. Christ himself said, believe it or not, his yoke is easy and the burden is light. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy right from the start. (laughs) You know, it still is taking up your cross to be in communion with the Christ who wants to be with you, to be in communion with you, who wants to give himself to you in the eucharist that's what we're talking about here and that's the great gift that the church offers in every mass and so friends come home
1: yeah and i just want to you know we got a couple minutes left but so i want to put in a plug here for eucharistic adoration you know if, if you're struggling with the presence of christ in the eucharist if you're even protestant and you're like oh i'm not sure about this find a catholic church that has eucharistic adoration that means that Christ present in the blessed sacrament is exposed in what we call a monstrance. It's, it's a, a, a sacred vessel that is only designed for one purpose to hold the blessed sacrament. To um, show him. to show, to show the monstrarian means to show, to show Jesus Christ. You see the, the Eucharist there. And just say, you know what, Lord, I, I'm struggling with this. You know, I heard this Francis Chan video. I heard, uh, Deacon Harold and not talk about this on living stones. And I, it, Is this real or not? Show me. Uh, Are are you really there in presence? Show me, and just be in His presence, and just you know. At at, at worst, you spend an hour, twenty four hours a day. You spend an hour hour in prayer, you know. But but hold, but challenge the Lord. Don't be afraid to say, okay, this I'm open. Show me what where the truth. Lead me into the fullness of truth,
0: you know. And I promise to pray for each and every one of our listeners here on Living Stones in my Eucharistic adoration this week. And Deacon, I know you pray regularly too. So we will keep you all in our prayers. Friends, we're at the end of our show tonight, but we want to encourage you to stay in touch with us. Find us on Facebook at livingstonesmedia.org. You can also download all the previous episodes of the show at radio.com. But Deacon, until we gather together next week, might we have a blessing?
1: Sure, may Almighty God bless you and your families, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Helanius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of
1: Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I
0: radio.com.